Today's scripture comes from Isaiah 40, words that we've already heard several times this morning and we'll hear more later. Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all this beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the grass, people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me for a quick word of prayer? Lord, we pray that as we turn to this scripture passage that we might be familiar with, that we might be able to hear from you this morning and hear fresh. We pray that you do develop in us this longing, this longing and this unsettled um, discontent with the way things are, knowing that there's a way that is coming when you return. Help us to long. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I remember in college, we would often have chapel, and a, a regular song that we would sing is, Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And I'll be honest, I remembered it because we sung it a lot, and I didn't like the tune. Nothing personal, it's just one of those tunes that kind of just bopped along in a way that said, but I think beautifully so, I now remember that song more than many others. And more importantly, I remember the scripture that they quote, why so downcast, O my soul? Why so downcast? Put your hope in God. That is a direct challenge that I often need. I often need to hear. You see, it's very easy for some of us to just kind of uh, see the good in life. But I think for a lot more of us, it's pretty easy to see the negative. And we're even encouraged with that. Just turn on any local news or global news or national news, and the only thing that seems to sell is something that is going to get you upset. And occasionally you have a little feature with something nice and cozy with about a kitten later on. But more importantly, more often, we just try to figure out 
what's going on? I, I often hear about that. You know, we live out here in the suburbs outside the great city of Philadelphia, and then we hear all the reports of all the bad things happening in Philadelphia, forgetting the fact that there's 1.6 million people living in the city, and we got three bad reports. Obviously, there's more than three bad things happening, but there's also way less than 1.6 million. So why so downcast, oh my soul? Well, the reason why I'm downcast is the world. The world, the world is broken. I see it. I live it. The world is broken. I have loved ones who are good people and who love the Lord and who get cancer. I have neighbors who are decent and kind people who somehow never seem to know Christ. I hear rumors and, and, and pictures and videos of war and atrocities. We see the highlights of death and carnage. We see what man can do with our technology and how we destroy it. We hear about uh, wonderful opportunities to raise uh, funds for organizations seeking to stop human trafficking, but then we're still confronted again with the fact that we have to have organizations that raise funds to stop human trafficking because humans are trafficked. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Because the world is broken. To quote the great 90s band, the world's a vampire sent to drain. Sometimes we feel that it's overwhelming and it can overtake us. And sometimes we need that reminder. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. You see, sometimes we want to say, why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your, put your head in the sand. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Turn off the news. Not a bad idea. But not the solution, is it? The solution to our despair about the world in which we live and maybe are living ourselves is to put your hope in God. That brings us to this very famous passage, um, Isaiah chapter 40. There's various viewpoints about what, who wrote Isaiah and how it was written, how it's composed, but it's pretty clear that there's three distinct segments. And chapters 1 through 39 are, have a one clear message and tone. And let me just tell you, if you were the people of Israel receiving this word from Isaiah about 100 years before the fall and before Assyria chops them down and then Babylon comes in, you were receiving a word from a prophet that was very harsh, very direct, and very few signs of hope at the end of the tunnel. He was basically telling a bunch of people that never ended up really listening to him or caring what he had to say, that your wickedness is seen by God, and there's coming a day when he will take you down, and he's going to deport you, and he's going to end what we have here. Time and time again, that's what the oracle of Isaiah said, chapters 1 through 39, with only some glimmers of some hope at the, in, the, in the day to come. And then chapter 40 hits. Chapter 40 through uh, somewhere into the early 60s or late 50s, there's a, there's a new section where the, the talk of the judgment on Israel is in the past tense. And the talk of the hope is in the more imminent future tense. And it begins here with this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Comfort my people. Some say that the first five verses are, are a picture of a heavenly conversation going on in the heavenly realm. 
Think about that with God and his agents, his angels. He's saying, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare a way for the way for the Lord. Make straight the desert, the highway for the, our God. There's a path that's coming. You see, the people at this time, when 39, chapter 40 is speaking to, they were over in Babylon now. They had been taken, and they'd been there for a generation or two. They'd been there for such a long time that they'd learned the local customs, they had local names, and they were doing local things, and they, they'd heard what happened back at home. Not good things. The temple was in disrepair. And it was only the fact that, um, see, God has a unique way of raising up people to bring discipline and justice to his, his people. So Israel was being bad, and so he raised up Assyria. But he couldn't let the Assyrians take all the credit for bringing justice. To, so God bring up, rose up the Babylonians to beat up the Assyrians. But he couldn't let them get haughty and arrogant about that, right? And so then he raised up the Persians, you get it, to take care of the Babylonians. And then somewhere there, a Persian king named Cyrus, which we'll hear about in a few more chapters later in Isaiah, let the people go home. Now, they're still under Persian Empire rule, but the people were now free to go back, rebuild the temple, worship again, be home, rebuild their town, rebuild their cities, rebuild their lives back at home. It was key. It was important. You see, for those who suffered captivity and exile, those who were part of the dispersion, those who had dealt with generational loss of loved ones, loss of homeland, loss of their freedoms, their reversal of this reality from anguish to comfort, that is what is being called for here. From fear to hope, and from sorrow to joy, from shame to self-love, from insecurity and uncertainty to the assurance of divine providence and care. This whole section preaches comfort to the people. Comfort that that which you know, the brokenness that you've lived in, the hurt and sorrow that is so normal and, and, comfort and, 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 and real to you, that will reverse because God is on the move. This is what this proclamation must achieve. Whatever good news is planned, it must speak first to the heart. It must see and acknowledge and touch the very core of people's sufferings. It must touch their confusions and ease their fears and to prompt and to make possible a set of radical reversals so that we no longer see the pain, but we see the hope. We believe that God is able to come and to rescue and to make new. It will not matter if the valleys are lifted up and the, and the mountains are leveled if the groundwork of this heart work is not done first. So in this text, we have the great words of God. There's a lot of juxtapositions, by the way, in this contrasting images in this passage. These contrasting images, though, they serve to highlight the, 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 the gap, the, the chasm between God and his people. They've sinned, but, but God has stayed true. They are fragile and short-lived, but God is powerful and eternal this, this poem in Isaiah focuses on the declaration of the human condition. 
the grass withers, the flowers fall, a reality we know all too well, don't we? We know all too well about the frailty of human life. Even when someone passes at the ripe old age of in their 80s or 90s or even breaking 100, we still look at it and somehow feel that there's a piece of it that is wrong. We know we are but a vapor. We are but a, a, a flower blown in the wind. Ah, but no, comfort. That's what this poem is about. The divine warrior, with arm outstretched to slay an enemy, instead bends down and scoops up the little lamb and carries him. This is the picture of this poem. This is this picture of a God who's on the move, a God who's going to return, a God who's going to reverse the pain, to reverse the discomfort, to heal the brokenness. Why? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken, and the people will see what God has revealed. A voice cries out. A voice says, cry out, and the, vo and the person says, what shall I say? What shall I say? Now, I do think this is interesting. We get into these juxtapositions here. When I think about words of comfort... I do not think that these words are necessarily the most immediately comforting. Let me read again verse 6 and, and following. What shall I cry? To comfort the people? All people are like grass, and all of their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. So far, so good. I'm liking that. It's beautiful. It's serene. It's calming. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Okay. Got it? Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. It is that contrast that when we are trying to look and fix our own problems, of course we try. And I'm not saying you shouldn't try to fix your problems. I'm not saying that we shouldn't gather together as a group of people in a town and try to better the life for our town. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, as a, as a, as a county or as a state or as a collection of states or as a nation, try to better the world around us. But we all know that when humans are involved, something might not go perfectly. Is that fair? It's kind of the understatement of the day. I said it very gently, didn't I? It might not go perfectly. When humans who need Christ and are not perfect and we have our own ambitions and we have our own proclivities and we have our own limited eyesight, our limited understanding, our limited perspective on the world around us, I mean, we could pull this room right here and we probably all have a lot of good ideas on how to fix the world. But how many of them actually have... Well, the knowledge of the full counsel of God. None. How many of them have a, a perspective that's free from selfish ambition? None. How many of them have the, 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 the fullness and understanding of how the earth actually works? None. So we do the best we can. But why so downcast, oh my soul? We put our hope in God. Why? Because God's word is eternal, God's word is faithful, and God, though he sent his chosen people into exile, 
because of life choices that they made for generations. He allowed them to go through suffering. He did not forget them. And he called them home. And he opened the paths. Look how he says he's going to open the path. This is metaphoric poetic language. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert. In the desert, a highway for the God. Every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. And the rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. God, when he goes before us, he makes the path manageable and even easy. When God goes before us, when he's calling his people back to him, he's going to make a highway to himself. When God goes before us, he can do all things that we cannot. So that brings us to a place of awe. That brings us to a place of humility. That brings us to a place of anticipation. Ooh, wouldn't we, we just, I will admit, we all want to be there on that day when we see the Lord Jesus come and unfold whatever it is that he's going to do, however it is that he is going to do it. Because we want to be there to see the glory, to see the power, to see the power of the God who comes as the mighty warrior who can, who can level the armies before him. He can level and decimate the nations who oppose him. And we see this warrior bend over, gently and tenderly scoop up the small child, scoop up the lamb and carry him, carry her in his bosom. We have a warrior God who's tender to us, who's merciful, who's patient, who's ever loving, whose word will not go untrue and who will not forsake us. He will fulfill that which he has begun in our lives. Cry out, what do I say? Well, will the uh, ears that hear this crying out receive it? Will it fall on willing ears? Probably not. History tells us that typically people, when they hear good news from God, they kind of uh, turn the other way. Would a message given make a difference in the world full of fickle people? Kind of hard to tell at this point, but not exactly our responsibility, is it? Is it our responsibility to make the people hear, to make the people believe? to make the people heed the ways of the Lord? I remember once I talked with a, a, I was a young intern at a church, and this pastor, he spent all summer, he was guest filling in during a sabbatical, and he was preaching on community so beautifully in ways that I still have yet to achieve, as I've tried. Greg preached on the beauties of community, and I sat there like a, a 23-year-old who thought he knew literally everything in the world. And one time I said to him, Greg, how hard is it to preach to the, all this truth to people and knowing they're not going to... You can feel the arrogance in me, right? I was, I was high up on my horse. And Greg brought me down very quickly. But even as he did it, he did it so gently. Because he said to me, Ken, it's my job to be faithful to, pro, to, to, to say what God is saying. It's my job to be faithful to proclaim the good news and to proclaim the truth of how God wants us to live. It's up to God to change people's hearts. I felt this big, and rightly so. So much so that I still remember this moment to this day. Uh, one, don't try to replace God. 
It's not my business. And two, put my hope in God because it is his business. Cry out. What do I say? The response that the word, the response that the word of God is not about human constancy, but about enduring reliability of God, that should be an assurance to us. That should be an assurance to the prophets and to the people who received it in the past centuries that God calls someone, he calls a remnant to speak up, to speak out, to proclaim good news, to proclaim the way of the Lord. And if they hear it, we thank God. And if they don't hear it on this day, we thank God and we pray that they will receive. We pray that they will receive and hear and believe and be transformed by the, new, the newness of Christ. Cry out. What do I say? Here is your God, verse 9. What do we cry out? Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. You see, this passage is, is spoken to some people that were in exile in Babylon, and they were coming home. And this passage was from the prophet to assure them that God saw them and heard them. But you know that th this passage has legs, doesn't it? This passage in all four Gospels was highlighted to be the message of John the Baptist. Jesus' cousin, the person who was going to go before and pave a way Four Gospels quote Isaiah 40. Because this message, John Calvin apparently said that this whole chapter of Isaiah 40 is, uh, contains the fullness of the Gospel. That could be a fun study to go back and look at and read. But why is it that we Christians love this passage so much? Because it was written to a group of people and that time it was fulfilled. But, but doesn't this message resonate with us? even to this day? Don't we see a world that is in need of comfort? Don't we see the world that is in, in need of God's voice again and his presence again? Don't we need a world in which somebody is, is, is commanded, cry out? And then we, after receiving the command to go cry out, we ask, what shall we say? And our answer is, here is your God. The sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm and his reward is with him. Cry out. We are commanded with the message, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. What? That Jesus Christ is born. You can see why Isaiah 40 wasn't just important 2,600 years ago in Babylon and in Israel that it's important 2,000 years ago when John the Baptist was about to tell his cousin had arrived. It was important a couple of centuries later when they're tackling, when this small band of group, this would be a mega church in that first century. When this small band of Christians were told to cry out and proclaim that Jesus Christ is born, to go up to Zion, to go to the mountaintops, to go to the synagogues, to go to Rome and preach to the mightiest empire of its day. You are not the king, but I know the king. What nerve, what chutzpah. And now today, 2,000 years after Christ, when we are still longing, we are still waiting, we are commanded, cry out. Comfort your people. Comfort your people in this world. 
Don't just succumb to the negativity of this world. Don't just become another grumbler ready to yell at everybody to get off your lawn. You should hear me in the car. Did you know most people who are driving, according to me, are an idiot on I-95? I'm just going to tell you, I'm not that mature yet. But let us not succumb to the negativity of driving, of the news, of neighbors, of taxes, of parties, of elections, of wars, of disease, of storms, and famine, and heartache. Let us not succumb to that and lose hope. Let us not succumb and lose vision that God is on the move and Jesus Christ is born and he dwells among us in our hearts and that we are a new people who've been given the charge to cry out. What shall we say? Grace and mercy to you in the name of Jesus. What if they don't listen? Respectfully talk louder. Respectfully. Or come back and revisit them again in a month or two. And in between times, pray for them. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your loved one. And if they've heard it from you so many times they can already tell you the message, then just stop talking, but just pray and love them and send them nice cards and notes. Go old-fashioned and write in cursive so they can't even read it. <laughs> yeah, I did it. I can't. I never read a single letter my grandmother sent me. I'd always have to call my mom and try to get interpretation. Cry out, friends. Go, tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere, go, tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. The mighty warrior will come. He will come not as the, only the warrior, but also the shepherd. And he will scoop up the lamb. And he will carry us into his kingdom. Comfort. Comfort your people. The king is coming. Lord, we pray that you would give us the opportunity to comfort Lord, we pray that you might comfort us so that we don't get so easily discouraged. We pray that you might fill us so that we will not fall into the trap of the evil one to be bitter and to be cynical and to have low, no faith in what you are doing. And Lord, help us to see the small and the large that you are on the move and that you are indeed coming. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.